0: Reintroduced to my with through my kids to uh, the Marvel heroes. All right. Uh, last week I watched the Avengers, uh, the Hulk, Iron Man, Captain America, and who else? Yeah, who else is all in there? Spider Man's just also Marvel. And I, you know, I asked myself because I enjoyed watching it. I mean, there's, you know, you always get to a point where it's like, oh come on, that's way out of reality. Which the whole movie's out of reality. So what am I thinking, right? But why do we watch these movies? Why do we like them? Why do we like The Land of Oz and Narnia? Why do we like all those kind of what we think are make-believe places? And they are make-believe places. Why do we like the idea of, of uh, Dr. Benner transforming into the Hulk or something becoming Mr. Uh, Captain America or Iron Man? And I thought, two reasons. I think for one, we, we want to believe that somebody somewhere can make the world right again. And there's a certain kind of power and energy and uh, commitment to transform the world to be like it's supposed to be. But I think there's also part of us, part of me, I'll speak for myself, I want to be one of those people. I, I, I want to be transformed into, into something that's powerful and life-giving and alive. Because I know in my state as I am, I feel more like, is it, is it David Benner, is that the guy Pre-Hulk? Is that his name? David Benner? All right, everybody, yeah, 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 okay. Because we know we're like that, but we kind of want to be like that. And we want to know that there's something different, transforming, powerful about us, and we have something deep in our hearts that we believe that we think we were made that way. So it's not just that we, we crave to see someone be our hero which I believe ultimately our desires point us to Jesus, but also we know we're made for more than what we do. The last number of weeks, then we had spring break and we had the snow day, we were talking about dangerous intimacy about marriage. And today's not about marriage, so if you're not married, you're wondering, okay, are we done with this? We're being done with this. But one of the things uh, that came to, actually was my wife came to her uh, a few weeks ago, she just felt like it was a, a word that God was kind of, prompting her to challenge me with. And we talk about marriage and all the things you have to deal with. And, you know, you got to know your stuff, deal with your issues. And sometimes that can be so overwhelming. And sometimes maybe we need to talk simply about, go to the next slide, simply about healing. Because typically when I look at who I am now and who I want to be, whether it's me as a man, me as a husband, or me as a father, I typically look at what I am and I look at what I am not and if you're like me, when you look at what you are not as a person, a spouse, or a parent, it can be overwhelming and a little bit discouraging and somewhat full of despair. Then, then my natural instinct is to say, oh, I can discipline myself. I just need to try harder. And if I try harder, I will be the husband I want to be. I will be the man I want to be. I'll be the father I want to be. And we've all, most of us, have tried the try harder method. And if we're honest, we realize it takes us this far but that's about it the gospel is not the gospel of Jesus Christ Jesus didn't come to tell us how to try harder he didn't, t- he didn't come to tell us to work harder be more reflective and insightful about our personalities and then we can figure it out he didn't come to help us understand them. he came to transform us to heal us and deep in all of our hearts every single one of us has a desire for transformation for healing, we want our marriages to be healed, but for a marriage to be healed, both individuals in the marriage have to be healed. So, again, whether you're married or not, we all need healing. And I don't mean just physical healing, I mean the healing of our souls, the healing of our emotions, and of course, the healings of our bodies, but kind of the spiritual and emotional part of healing that really nobody else sees except you. And if you're married, your spouse may see those things. And there may be things that irritate you about each other or irritate other people about you. But ultimately, it's healing we all desire. And it's healing we all need. And healing in and of itself has a supernatural component to it because we can't do that to ourselves. One of the things what we're going to do this week and then I'm going to do it next week because we're going to be moving from talking about dangerous intimacy in marriage into talking over the next few months about Jesus. Jesus. And kind of reacquainting ourselves with the ministry and the stories of Jesus and who he is and how he wants to be a part of our lives on a really interactive way, ways in which we maybe never imagined. So today we're talking about healing and the healing ministry of Jesus. Let me go to this next slide. In Matthew chapter 4, this is the opening part of or part of the, the opening part where Matthew starts talking about some of the stories of Jesus. And Matthew writes this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. He says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. All right, now, most of us stop there and, okay, Jesus came teaching and preaching. But it's interesting that Matthew says here, and he repeats this exact same phrase in Matthew chapter 9, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. What's the connection between this saving aspect of Jesus and the healing aspect of Jesus. What if you rewrote the Gospels and took out all the healing miracles? Would would it, would it to you be the same Jesus? And of course we'd say, well, no, it's not the same. But sometimes I wonder if we read the Gospels personally and we read about how Jesus saves us from our sins, he died on the cross, I need to accept that, and yes, I'll go to heaven after I die. But somehow personally we skip over What the gospel writers write about often is how Jesus touched people and healed them, how he touched people and healed them, how he touched people and healed them, how he moved mountains. And we tend to kind of downplay the supernatural ministry of Jesus. And we figure out, well, if I know the right doctrine, I know the right things to say, and I sign the right kind of documents about what I believe, then I must be a Christian and that's okay. But the teaching ministry of Jesus and the healing ministry of Jesus are one of the same. He came to bring wholeness to every single person here. So, what I want to look at today is just three. Today, we're going to look at three, and next, we look at three short vignettes, short scenes from three different people who sought healing from Jesus. And we're going to ask the question of okay, what, what was true about those people when they approached Jesus, and what, how did Jesus respond? And again, this is as intended for all of us to kind of interact and interject our own stories into this story, all right? First story, Matthew chapter eight. So Matthew tells a lot of stories about healing. In Matthew chapter eight, it's about a man with leprosy. Some of you may know, some of you may not know that leprosy in those days, which it would be any day, is a horrible, horrible, horrible skin condition. Skin starts to peel, you lose uh, feeling in your nerves, fingers often uh, fall off. I mean, just all kinds, of your body basically eats itself up. And in those days, in the days of Jesus, which is not any different than now, but at least in those days, it was probably worse. uh, If you had leprosy, it was automatic, an automatic sentence to a life of isolation, shame and despair. You had to, by religious law, stay six feet away from any person. Kind of the six foot rule that if I had leprosy, I couldn't get any closer to anybody else. Than six feet. So human touching was out of the question. So you can imagine living your whole life without ever being touched or at least living your post-leprosy life without being touched. But shame, despair, isolation, rejection, they had no opportunity to connect with the spiritual life of God's people because by nature of leprosy, they were seen by many religious people as being cursed. So no access to religious life, The life with God, from what they've been told, they're out of reach. There's no chance they could ever have a life with God. Way out of reach. Isolation, shame, despair. That's this person's life. And in Matthew chapter 8, what we read is this leprous man comes to Jesus and he kneels before Jesus. Now, what did he do right away? He broke the six-foot rule. And you notice Jesus didn't back away. I think sometimes we think Jesus would back away if he really knew what was wrong with us. But he kneels at the feet of Jesus. Jesus doesn't back away. And he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And then the next line, Jesus breaks the six-foot rule, and he breaks all kinds of rules religiously. It's that he reached out his hand and he touched the man. Now Jesus didn't have to reach out his hand and touch the man. He could have healed him just by saying, you're healed. He didn't need to reach out his hand and touch the man, but he does that. He touches someone who thought themselves untouchable and he breaks like every religious protocol in the book because now Jesus has made himself in the eyes of religion um, defiled and unable to participate in the life of the religious world. So he re- Jesus reaches out his hand and he says, be healed, he touches him and says instantly the, man, the man's leprosy left him. And along with his leprosy, the shame, the isolation, the rejection, and despair. And I'm saying those words knowing that no one here has leprosy, but many of us here can relate to shame, isolation, rejection, and despair, and the things and the stories of your life that have brought you to that point. Many of us have maybe a leprosy of the soul in a sense. Second story, also Matthew chapter 8. The Roman soldier who had a servant said he came to Jesus and he asked for help. He said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. All right, now let's back up here again about the Roman soldier's life. The Jews hated the Romans because the Romans were occupying Israel like Germany occupied most of Europe. So for one, the Romans were hated by the Jews. Two, a Roman soldier was doubly hated by the Jews because they were the source of power and force, and often did things to the people that were uh, unmentionable kind of pain and suffering. So here we have a Roman soldier, most likely brought up in a polyistic kind of God environment where they worshiped idols and all kinds of gods. He had a servant whom obviously he cared about, who was uh, sick and to the point of death, paralyzed, terrible suffering. And this man approaches Jesus. And you... If we were if we were a Jewish crowd watching this, we would look at this Roman soldier approaching Jesus like what? Where does he get off doing that? He doesn't. What's he doing? He's a Roman soldier and he's approaching Jesus. What's he doing? He has no right to touch Jesus. He has no right to go talk to Jesus, because for that Roman soldier, life with God was seen as out of out of reach for him. Not possible. He's a Roman, he's a soldier, who knows what he's done in his private life, who knows what kind of things will, his moral life. But he comes to Jesus, and he says, can you, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I don't even deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself is a man under authority... And with soldiers under me, and I tell this one, go and he goes, and that one come and he comes. And Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. To the religious people, that was a pretty offensive statement because he's saying, This Roman soldier, this hated Roman soldier dog, has more faith than any of you. Because he had he was approaching Jesus with a bold request. And then it said, then Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at the very hour. So another story of someone who thought they they can't really approach Jesus with a deep request, a mountain to move, but yet they did and Jesus moved the mountain. Next one, two demon-possessed men, Matthew chapter 8. This one's interesting because these are the demon, and, and we don't, the, 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 better, the better way to translate, we often use the word demon-possessed, the, the better way to talk about it in the New Testament sense is a demonized, demonized people. Um, so that the demon harassed, at this point, there was obviously a door open in that person's life where the demon had significant influence and control. To the point where these men would run around uh, naked, run around the graves. If they were chained up, they broke the chains. They were basically madmen. And they would cut themselves and all kinds of whoever knows what. But again, these people way, 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 way outside of the touch of God in their life. And he, no, no hope for change. And what we read in, in uh, Matthew chapter 8 is that these, it said these men were so violent nobody would even go near them. And it said in Matthew 8 and then in other gospels in the same story, it actually says they ran to Jesus and fell in his feet. Now think about this for a second. Why in the world would a demonized person, why in the world would a demon even want to go to Jesus and not from Jesus? I think our only conclusion is there's still something of the humanity in that person. They knew this may be their only hope. And this demonized these demonized men ran to Jesus. One of the gospels in the Gospel of Mark tells they fell at his feet. And then they say in some kind of demonic, kind of Hollywood demonic voice, which... Was how it was and how it is. They said, What do you want with the Son of God? Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? And then this is the story, and again, some of you have heard this story. Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And Jesus said to them, Go. So they came out and went to the pigs, the demons, the, the evil, unclean spirits. The whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. And the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave the region because they were afraid of Jesus because he had supernatural power they'd never seen before. But again, here are these demon-possessed men, and to whatever degree they had ability to kind of reflect on their own life, do you think they thought they had any hope of any kind of normal, healthy, life-giving, full-of-life and love kind of life? Of course they didn't have any hope for that. Who knows what they had conscious awareness of did they have any thought they could ever lead a life-giving, full-of-love kind of life? Of course not. But yet something in them runs to Jesus. Jesus casts out the demons from them. And it said these men then were clothed and in their right minds. Transformation. So you have, you have the blind, you have the uh, demon-possessed men. You have the Roman soldier, the man with leprosy. All three of these situations are people that had despair, isolation discouragement, no hope, and Jesus heals them all. Now, what did we learn about those people? What's true about those people? And here's what I'm saying. This is what kind of attitude did these people have that were healed? Because I I read the Gospels and I think we read them and think, okay, what kind of people did Jesus heal? And let me mention two qualities they had. First one is this. Go to the next slide. They all had a hopeful desperation. Desperate meaning... They knew there was no hope for anything, any kind of healing or wholeness from anything that had been offered to them, medically, religiously, spiritually. So whether it's uh, the Roman servant with the paralyzed, uh, the Roman soldier with the paralyzed servant, the two demon-possessed men, or whether it was um, the, the leprous man, they were desperate. But there was something in them still hopeful. They knew they were in a really, 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 really bad situation. But there was something in them still hopeful that they would approach Jesus. So there was a desperation that drove them to a hopefulness. The question is, what in your life are you nearing desperation about? Do you really want to see a change in yourself, in your marriage, in the life of someone you love? Uh, what, where's desperation in your life, and again, let's be honest. Desperation feels a little bit um, vulnerable. Nobody wants to be desperate. It sounds so weak. But yet, these people approached Jesus in a desperation that was hopeful. Second thing they all had was a shameless determination. The leper, the man with leprosy, without shame, or at least his shame didn't stop him he went after Jesus and kneeled at his feet. The Roman soldier, who would have every reason to be mocked and scorned and kind of at least pushed away by the people, without shame, went to Jesus and asked him for something. The demon-possessed men, to whatever degree they had control of their own emotions, and they had, without shame, they went to Jesus. Doesn't mean there wasn't shame in their life, but they, they did not let the shame keep them from pushing toward Jesus. And there was a determination about them to get the attention of Jesus. And the way I like to say it is, they got in the way of Jesus. All three of these people, they got in the way of Jesus. When I was dating my wife, when actually I wasn't dating her, I wanted to date her at this time. And I remember she was a student at Wheaton College at the time. And I figured out over time what her schedule was like and what her routine was like, all right? Now, you, those of you who are laughing, you've done the same thing with a boy or girl you like. Because I was trying to figure out, how can I get in her way, right? How can I be where I think she's going to be because I want to interact with her? So you might say that's kind of shameless, that's kind of determined. Yeah, it's all those things. But I did it because I wanted to be around her and I wanted to be with her. So I would figure out, kind of had a sense of when she'd go to the library and what part of the library she'd study in. And just as chance have it, I was studying there at the same time, right? Or I'd figure out when she went to the dining hall and what part of the dining hall she sat in. and I, Oh, there she is. I'm, I'm just here too, right? So we know what that's like to, to intentionally get in somebody's way. And in that case, it was motivated by I wanted really to interact with her. I, w- I wanted to fall in love with her. And so we understand the motivation of doing that, getting in the way of, in that case, of Kathy, but getting in the way of Jesus. Because these people did not, they were, there, was an, there was an assertiveness about them, an aggressiveness about them, and even an uh, initiative about them, that they approached Jesus with a kind of boldness that, if, if you and I are honest, feels a little bit brash. Because I think we'd be in the crowd thinking, what does that man with leprosy think he's doing? Or what does that Roman soldier think he's doing? And, oh, I can't believe these naked, wild, demonic men are coming to Jesus. But in neither case, in any of those three cases, did Jesus react with even a gasp? He wasn't like, oh, okay, now I'll heal you. There was nothing about him that was shocked at their approach. And if anything, you get the sense he was incredibly pleased with their approach. So we tend to think, well, that's... Now is the time for better protocol, and we have to do what's proper in approaching Jesus. But it seems as if the kind of people that Jesus healed and, and brought wholeness to, um, basically through pro- pro- any kind of religious protocol, out the window. Now, what do they know about Jesus? What did, we, what did we learn about Jesus? Well, Jesus, two things, compassion and power. Because they knew, as we know, that Jesus has the compassion He reached out and touched people, and often in these healing stories, and you read the Gospels and just read different healing stories, you'll often see the phrase, Jesus, comma, moved with compassion. And the sense is that actually he was kind of, the sense is he's kind of moved in his gut. He's kind of moved deeply to that person, Move with compassion. There is nothing any of you have done, there's nothing I have done that puts you outside the reach of Jesus, nothing. There's nothing... That has made you unlovable to Jesus. I don't know all your stories. I don't know all your dark secrets. I don't know those things. I don't know those things in your own heart. But you might think, well, I need to kind of clean things up before I step that direction. There's nothing you've done to put you outside of the reach of Jesus. Nothing. But also they knew that Jesus had power. And he had the power to change them. He had the power to heal a leper. He had the power to heal a paralyzed servant. He had the power to uh, kick out the demons from these two men. And again, there's nothing in your life, there's nothing in your marriage, there's nothing in any situation in your life that is beyond the power of Jesus to change, nothing. And I wonder sometimes how often we, and I'll speak for me too, we kind of give up hoping for those kind of changes. We just think this is how it is. Not gonna go there. I'm not going to hope anymore because when I hope, I get disappointed. What if God doesn't do something for me? What if he can't do it? What if he doesn't want to do it? I'm tired of being disappointed. I'm going to make do with the life that I have and try to just survive. And we go there, and that's kind of how we live our Christian life. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make do. I've got my ticket to heaven. That's all I need right now. Other than that, I'll just make do with life. And when you read the stories of the men and women and even children in the Gospels who approach Jesus for healing there was a confidence that, that jesus could do those things and again like i said in the prayer earlier it's not like jesus is santa claus or a candy machine okay we ask for it and he does it automatically but he does tell us to ask so here's the question i'll ask for this morning for all of us as we lead into community go to the next slide there uh will you will you boldly approach jesus for some issue of healing in your life Maybe it's an emotional issue, spiritual issue, could be a physical issue. Um, it could be an issue, you don't even know what it is, but you know there's something. Does that make sense? I, I think when I, I was writing in my journal once recently, and I even said to Jesus, I don't even know what it is, Jesus, but I know there's some kind of block in my life. I don't even know what it is. But God, You do. If you were, if you and I were all in the time of Jesus in those days, and he was walking by, would you approach him with boldness and what would you even ask him? What is that one, what is that one thing or two things or three things in your life you like, or in your marriage, you would think, I, I really want to see that changed. I believe God can, but for some reason I've kind of given up on that belief. So what is it? And are you, are you willing to approach Jesus with that desperation, with boldness, with hope, with determination? And are you willing to kind of grab on and hold on? I, Jesus is not put off by those things. And, and please don't. I'll say it this way. I, I'm just trying to think. I think, I do think there are many of us who have, like I have said this before, but I just like need to repeat it, that we've, we've settled for something way less than what Jesus wants to offer us. We have settled something for way less in our marriage. We've settled for something way less our, in our personal lives. We've settled for less than what Jesus came to offer. And we're not sure if we even believe there's more anymore. We're not sure if healing and transformation is even possible. So we've kind of, we're stuck there, and the stuckness is, has this thick veil around it that we don't even know if we want to try to get out anymore. And let, let these stories from the Gospels and other stories from the Gospel convince you that Jesus wants a bold approach. And you have to push through. One of my mentors used to say, you have to push through the membrane. You have to push through what seems like that's gonna be hard to get through. That no, you've got to push through. You've got to keep pushing through. You gotta keep pushing through. If you if you were brought up in a charismatic church or a Pentecostal church, which I don't know if any of you were, the phrase they use is you've got to press into Jesus. You've got to press into Jesus. You've got to press into Jesus. It speaks of resolve. It speaks of perseverance. It speaks of a Dog determination. I'm going to get his attention. I'm going to f- get in his way, and I'm going to get his attention, and I'm going to s- keep asking and keep asking and keep asking. Not like a whiny child, not like a demanding child, but as somebody who's like, "No, I have a need, and Jesus, you said you said you could meet these needs, and I'm asking you to open up this door for my life." So, what is that? What would that be for you? Let's pray, Jesus. You